0: Here last week, but I've heard uh, so much about it. I'm tired of you bragging about David and choir and music. Not really. I heard it was just wonderful as the uh, nations were represented, as you heard from David Jacket and the message he brought to you. I listened to that this past week, and uh, straight speaking, uh, entertaining speaker, young at heart and enthusiastic about the work of the Lord and clear about how the Lord has called him into that mission and what his part in that is. Well, I can tell you, as you already know, that the word mission conjures up for many people many different kinds of things. And in fact, the term mission has been used a lot in recent years to mean things that are very local and very important and dear to our hearts. As you think about all the things the church does, we see a mission in reaching our own children, our own youth. We see a mission in reaching our neighbors as we seek to share the word of the gospel with them to let them know how much God loves them. We go into places like prisons where there are populations who are gathered week after week who have been around the word all their lives but has never been presented and lived out in their midst and in their presence in such a way that it has impacted their lives where they are able to make the kind of choices that would restore their life and prevent them from being in the kinds of places where they are now. I can tell you as I went there that I really wasn't prepared in that, in that setting to hear what they had to say, although I'd heard stories already before and thought I understood. There's something about sitting around the table with nine of you there, six of you who are incarcerated, and three of you who are not. As you share 14 16 hours a day, telling them about the story and witnessing to the love and the acts of agape that come from around the country and around the state, it has an influence on them that is so clear and so unmistakable that the idea of the impact of law, love that is expressed and love that is able to be received is so much more powerful. It renewed my, my interest in and my appreciation for just what love can do in individuals' lives. One young man, as they were sharing, they, they, there was a common concern at the particular table that I was sharing that returning to where they were and where they had been was very difficult and yet they also confessed that they didn't have anywhere else to go one young man told me he said if i don't i know i'm going to go back to the hood and i know what has happened to me is going to happen to me again now i tell you sitting there at the table with him after about one day in that was a statement that came from his lips and were he not uh, much more experienced than me in certain things, I wanted to spring across the table, tackle him to the ground, and grab him by the throat and say, no, you're not. You're not going back to where you came from. But another thing besides my own fear for my own safety motivated me not to do that. And that was he looked at me and said, in the hood, I know how people live. I know what they think, and I know how to act. I don't know anything about your suburban world. And if I went back there, I wouldn't know where to begin. And you couldn't help but sit there and think to yourself how sad to try and contemplate and need to understand how lost some people were when there were churches all around where they'd been living all of their life. Yes, there's mission work to be done in everyone's neighborhood. Everyone's circle of people that they meet. And yet, there also was some hope that was there by the time the week, weekend was over, four days. They, one after another, told us of how that meeting with them had restored their image and trust and their willingness to try. That they had a new sense of hope because people actually did love them, people they had never even known and had reached out to them in so many and remarkable ways. And so we felt like things were happening and people were saying, I'm not coming back. I'm going to make a new effort. And the young man who was so vocal on Friday by Sunday had decided to give it a try. He wasn't ready to commit yet, but he was willing to entertain the idea that perhaps there was hope even for him. Now, we can visualize that kind of situation there because we know even in our own communities, in our own neighborhoods where we live, Even though there's a church almost around every corner, even though there are tons and tons of opportunities, there are people who are yet still lost. There are people who are yet, even with all the opportunity available, still not able to hear the gospel in the kind of language and through the kind of person that makes an impact on their lives. We understand that. And we know the church is hard at work trying to reach out in local missions to overcome that reality. But now, when you think about that being difficult, think about if you've lived in a nation far away from here where you've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ spoken in your own language, where there is maybe a handful of churches in a land that's literally filled with millions of people who are following another spiritual way. Imagine what it's like to them to try and understand God when they first see it perhaps on the Internet or they first see it perhaps on some pamphlet that somebody's given them or imagine if they've never seen it at all. Imagine a culture, if you can, and let me tell you, unless you've been abroad and stayed for a significant amount of time, you can't, you can't comprehend it. But when you try to, think about a culture that has no influence of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that has no influence of the man Jesus in it, in their calendar, in their way of thinking, in their daily lives, cultures, and customs, in their families, in the places where they worship. Think about them. And maybe you begin to think, well, why would I spend so much time thinking about that, preacher? There's a lot of work to do right here. Well, I'm going to see if this morning I can give you a reason to think about that, as well as your own present circumstances and the needs around you. Last week from David, you heard in his message that the Bible is a book with one story, beginning in Genesis and going all the way through the book into the end of Revelation, a story about how God is seeking to be recognized among all the nations, that his plan and his mission is to have representatives in every nation on the earth that the gospel will pro- be proclaimed everywhere so that everyone will have the opportunity to respond to it. It begins in, in Genesis. You could say Genesis 1. I know David did. I prefer to start in Genesis 12 with the word to Abram where it's clear that it's, departure is occurring. It's clear that people are not going to find God on their own by then. In the first chapter, 11 chapters of Genesis, that unfolds. And then God does this strange thing. He saves the world by talking to one man who is 75 years old, married to not a younger woman, but barely a little younger. And he tells them, I'm going to have a great nation through you. And they laugh. Yeah, right. I'm 75, and she's too old to have children. How, how are we going to become a great nation? He says, through you, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. That's God's promise to Abram before he became Abraham. That is still his promise to Abram today, and he's still seeking to fulfill that through the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. And obviously, we still have work to do. When you think about mission in these terms, you, you, you have to understand that the mission is not yet completed, and God will complete it. People say, well, I wonder When God's going to return? Well, not yet because we hadn't done our part yet. Until the gospel is proclaimed in every place, God is not going to return because his mission couldn't be completed. And God will complete his mission. Then you start asking yourself those nosy kinds of little questions. If the mission is not complete, what is it that we need to do? And I believe David made that pretty clear. We need to reach out to the unreached people groups of the world. The ethnic groups who are not yet able to hear in their own language and culture from indigenous churches the message of the love of Jesus Christ. That is the goal of missions in the strictest of senses. You see, what we call mission often in our area is reaching out to people who are unevangelized or who are lost by their own choices, but not lost because their culture has not been reached. We live in a reached generation. Even though we have many people saying no to Jesus, they know who Jesus is. That is an important group of people to witness to, yes. It's part of the ministry of the church. But it should not be to the exclusion of our intense efforts to reach out to billions of people who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ and never had a realistic opportunity to respond. By the way, Carrollton, you taught me that. I came here, a well-experienced United Methodist pastor, and I was used to sending in the apportionments where we did our mission work around the world, hearing about some really, really, really large churches who did it above and beyond that, always impressed by that, but never really being part of individual congregations who went the extra mile, planned to intentionally seek to change the path of the world until I came here. And I got here and found out you were reporting some 13 or so missionaries. And I said, what? How do they do that? Really? And I was impressed by it, but not impressed by it enough to find out all that you were doing. To my shame. I never really understood what some of the quiet voices were trying to tell me as they kept saying have you read this book? No. Have you read that book? No, not really. Would you like to? Sure, I'll always take a book. <laughs> Maybe I'll read part of it, and sometimes I get hooked and I read all of it. Finally, Lauren said, I'll send you some information. I said, well, I don't want to say what David said. So she sent me 10 pages from various articles about missions and what missions truly are in the ethnic sense, which is the word that is really being used in Genesis, that like you're going to go to the nations, is really a translation of the word from the Greek that means ethnic groups. So when you think about that, well, Lauren sent me something she knew I could read. I don't know how many pages it was, 10 or 20, I don't know, probably closer to 15. I read them and I started covering up their pages with yellow, and I've got one of them here at the moment I'm going to show you. And what I walked away with was a clear understanding of what she had been trying to tell me of, about the direction of missions in Carrollton Church. And all of a sudden, I began to get a sense of what the really number one priority of the church needs to be in the world. And it's making a difference in the way I look forward as we move from here. You see, what, what was spoken in to Abram in Genesis Twelve, verse 3 is part of God's promise that we're still living out today. In strict terms, as I've said, I want to say it again, mission strictly means to reach all nations. It's really about reaching out to any ethnic group that is unreached because of language, culture, or geography, or some other kind of reason. And they cannot respond because the gospel has never been presented to them through the indigenous church and their own language and customs where they live. God intends, through in the end Jesus and you and me, to reach every one of those ethnic groups. And our mission will not be complete on this earth until the gospel of Jesus Christ has been spread to all of those places. Now, this is a different kind of understanding from mission work than simply reaching out to the unsaved or the unevangelized or the lost in the midst of a reached culture where there are people there who have not been reached yet. But this is talking about unreached people groups. It's not talking about one hardhead or one person who doesn't like rules. It's talking about populations of people who don't know. You see the difference? It begins to make an impact when you think about how much time and energy we spend on three or four hard heads when maybe with the same energy we could reach a million. Scary, isn't it? You say, well, now wait a minute, Doug, those those hard heads are important. Oh, I know it. I intend to die with hard heads. You know, I'm gonna keep telling them the story, and they may keep refusing it, but they won't be able to go before Jesus and say, I never heard the story, because I'll be sitting over there in the corner going, Yes, they did. Yes, they did, Lord. I love them, but they just wouldn't listen. They had countless witnesses, but there's no excuse for them. And then I'm going to be hearing, yeah, Doug, what about that group over there in the far corner? They never heard. They never were told. The church never made them a priority. Now, I'll admit, as my experience lengthens, I get really sensitive to the things the church has not accomplished during my lifetime. Because I assumed Jesus would return before I died. How could the earth continue to work if I'm not here? I mean, really. How could that work? I mean, what would life be on earth without Doug, right? The older I get, the more I realize there's going to be work left when I've been long gone. But it shouldn't be from the lack of my trying to have knowledge about it, and to do something about what God is already invested in. Because where God is invested, things happen in a different kind of way. Lack of access must not continue to be a hindrance to people learning the gospel. We have the means, the education, and the understanding to take the gospel to every corner, to every culture, to every unreached people group. What we lack is a willpower to do something about it. What we lack is the sense of sacrifice that God had when he sent Jesus to die for me. And I'm going to make that clear in just a few moments as I continue to talk about this point. You say, well, just how many unreached people groups are there? Are you ready for this? You might want to grab a hold of your seat. Don't grab your person next to you. They might not be related to you. About 3.6 billion people in the world are part of unreached people groups. And by that I mean this again explicitly so that you understand. These people are those who have not been able to hear in their own culture and language and situation from an indigenous person who understands them, the gospel preached and proclaimed to them. 3.6 billion. Now God has helped us. He's kind of scooped them all into a corner of the world. At this point in time, parts of Africa don't actually have that many unreached people in it. They still have unsaved people, but they've heard the gospel. Although much of Africa still has not, especially in the western part. Because these numbers are just going to blow you away. Of that 3.6 billion, 88% of them have been gathered in a small area just for us geographically. So it would be easier to find them. Eighty-eight percent of 3.6 billion live in what is referred to in missional circles as a 10-40 window, which means between 10 and 40 degrees latitude from Western Africa to Eastern Asia, 88% of those people are living, waiting, not expectantly. The expectancy is coming from heaven. God is waiting for us as a church to reach them with the gospel. Whatever it takes. It's already cost the loss of his son. And it's going to cost the lives of some of us Christians who are called to do something about what David referred to that some of us just need to respond. I'm coming back to that. 2.70% of the unreached peoples on the earth, 2.17% live in North and South America. Meaning that most of the people have had the chance to hear the gospel in North and South America. Only 2.17% live here. That other 88%, and then there's some others, of course, that are carryovers. They live in that window I was talking about. Now, it's not because... They don't have spirituality because they are open to spiritual things and practicing spiritual things. In fact, in that area alone, you're going to find Muslim, Buddhists, those who follow Chinese uh, folk religions, Hindus, who are spiritual people. But they are not hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way they can respond to it. How many, you say? Try these numbers on. There are 1.6 billion Muslims in the world, 1.6, who are not being reached. There are 480 million Buddhists, 340 million Chinese folk religions, 1 billion Hindus, 660 million tribal religions, 975 million atheists and non-religious persons. Or in our world today. Now, hear me clearly because this is not an easy place for the church to go. And that's why we're not doing a very good job of it. One of the reasons is because these areas in themselves are oppressive to Christianity. In fact, one of the missionaries that we support is in one of those oppressive areas. And that's why his name is never spoken or his work never shared. But the mission committee continues to fund him and to support him. But they can't talk about it for fear he would lose his life. That's how hard it is to get the message into those areas. It's not easy. I thought it was risky to go to the prison with guards. It wasn't risky at all, really. Going to some of these places requires missionaries who are sold out to the call of God in their lives calls for churches to proclaim a message that allows them to hear that God wants to use them in that place. Now the other ninety six percent of people are not unevangel or unevangelized, but they're not in unreached areas. Isn't that amazing? now, further complications to reaching them. This is true about United States missions, according to the articles I was reading. The money that U.S. church designates for mission, of that money, only 5.4% is used for foreign mission. Only 5.4% of every American dollar actually goes to foreign missions. Now, listen to this. Of that 5.4%, only 1% is used in those areas of unreached peoples where 3.6 billion people are dying never having heard the gospel. 1% of the money we give for missions gets to those people. What that means and translates into in dollars, one cent out of every $100 $100 given to missions reaches those populations of unreached peoples. One cent. There are statistics telling how easy it would be for us to fund enough churches to change the tide in all of those countries. But the numbers are so embarrassingly low, I, I just don't want to read them. I don't want you to go home and turn to sackcloth in and mourning and Uh, Forget your daily routine. We have enough money just in the evangelical churches of America to put churches in all of those nations in short order if we were to return just some significant part of money, very doable, to that work alone and still keep doing the work we're doing in the missions here. Now, I'm not saying, and please do not hear me, and if you go out and say I said this, you'll be wrong, so listen closely if you're dozing in and out. All the mission work that people do here in this country is important, and the work they do in South America is important. But we have to ask ourselves the question, is our focus appropriate in how we're dividing the money that belongs to our Lord, the money that our Lord has given to us? Now, again, Lessons coming our way, and I'm coming back to that too. You said, well, you're coming back to a lot of stuff, Doug. I am. I really am. I didn't get to preach last week. And whatever you heard from somebody else doesn't count for me. I get twice as long today. Okay? How are we going to move from that reality to what we need to do? How will God's mission be accomplished? Well, God's already decided how it's going to be accomplished. It's through his church. People say we don't need the church universal. just don't understand the nature of the church. We need the church because the church is God's chosen way to send people to the mission field. It's God's chosen way to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's through the church and the people who make up the church. I'm not talking about denominations here. I'm talking about the church, the believers in Jesus Christ. How... This was all kind of new information to me. I just never, it was never my gift, and it's still not my gift. I'm clear that I'm not called to go to to China or to India. You say, how do you know that, Doug? Because if I go and live there, two years later, I'll still be speaking Texican. It might be influenced a little with their languages, but I barely got out of seminary. I don't do languages. My wife does languages, and she can't go because God can't call her, because that means I'd have to go, Right. Uh, No, obviously, some people can do languages, and some can't. Not everybody, however, is being called to go and move to those places and become indigenous to that society, but surely more are called than are going, and we're just not proclaiming the word clear enough for them to hear it, and we're not financing it clear enough to those countries, and we're not as stroked by it. If you heard Abby this morning talking about it feels good when we do mission work, and we get immediate feedback. Well, a lot of these countries, you're not going to get immediate feedback because if they feed too much back to you, they won't be, they won't be doing their work long. They'll be going to see Jesus face to face. That's how strong, how strongly those other religions are entrenched in those areas and in those cultures, just as Christianity is entrenched in ours. So it's not easy work, and that does make it difficult for people to go there and have families, but not impossible. So when I hear all this, I start thinking, well, what are we supposed to do? Well, one of the articles that Lauren gave me is, is "I could, boy, I could break it down really, really easy. There are five tasks involved in reaching unreached people. One of them is going. Somebody has to hear the call and go. But secondly is the ministry of praying, praying for the people who are there, praying for the lost, praying for the influence of the Christian faith to be spread, praying for wisdom and And if you want to use the word cunning, I'd use that, cunning in presenting the word wisely to an unsaved culture. It's talking about loving people enough to become one of them while not becoming one of them. You can be in their midst without being one of them, just like Jesus was in the world but not of the world. We need to be in some of these countries without becoming them. But we need to so identify with them because of our love for them that we understand their culture and their ways, and then God can reveal to us how we can share the gospel with them in a way that makes sense in their context, in a way that will allow them to respond, and the change can become from one person to another, from one village church to a city church, from one thriving place of Christian activity to another. And you say, well, what does that look like? It looks like Cambodia. (laughs) You teach me so much. A lot of our money is appropriately going in missions to the work in Cambodia. Or it's going through Hearts for Cambodia. It's not just what we give them in the budget that matters. It's what our support of Chiv and Emmer as they continue to do it. And Hearts for Cambodia is largely supported by a lot of United Methodists out of this congregation. In an extra giving yet above and beyond. What has happened? Well, because Chiv is so special. You know, Chiv. Who could say no to Chiv, right? The feisty little terrier becomes a bulldog when he gets over there for Jesus, right? The bulldog who didn't want to go. And we said, well, we don't have any more Chivs. Well, listen, let me tell you, if it wasn't for Emma, Chiv would never make it. His six weeks would have become, you know, three weeks or two weeks. But because he heard through you, the church, A call for this church to go to Cambodia, he went. And guess where Cambodia is? It's within those people groups that I was describing. Once there was no church in the areas where Chiv was going to, now there are seven congregations. (laughs) Seven. (laughs) Give yourself a hand. You're responsible for that. You had to drive Chiv over there. And now he goes willingly. But it was a scary place for him to return, But he was willing, if that's what the Lord required, and so he went. Now, before you get too excited about Chiv and Emra, however, I got news for you. That's not the main reason that the church is flourishing in those seven churches. Chiv would tell you this, and he will after I say it loudly now. He'll tell it to you again and again. They, Chiv and Emra, are there on God's mission. God's mission is to reach the unreached people of the world. The people from Abram are to bless all of the unreached people of the world. It's no secret that when the church cooperates with God's plan and God's vision and God's mission, that then the Holy Spirit is on fire to reach out and touch people. Then the work gets multiplied beyond Chiv and Emra, beyond what they can keep up with. And I feel like right now, that is coming to a head. And you say, what do you mean? I don't know. I'm too stupid to know what I mean about missions. But I'm going to make you figure it out. Because if seven churches can grow from this little congregation, then I'm starting to ask myself a lot of questions. What can we do to make that witness even broader? What can we cause to happen with God's blessings? Because when we try to do that in those kinds of places, God showers blessings upon us when we send people, when we teach indigenous people, as Chiv is doing now, to be pastors of their own congregations and their own cultures. More and more people who look like them, telling them about Jesus and giving them the chance and opportunity to make a different choice. Am I through yet? Nope, I'm not. I'm sorry. But just get comfortable. What should we do? We've got somebody going there. And we pray for them as they go. But, you know, there's also this thing about mobilizing congregations to do something. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to a mission meeting. I've only been to one or two in three years. Hold your gas, please. I send Lauren and Cindy every time to make their staff there. But I'm going now. You say, well, what are you going to do? I try not to mess up what they've already been doing, for one thing. But I have questions for them and for Chib and for Imran. I have questions for the Jacksons about the ministry they're engaged in. I have questions about what we can do and what will it take to be more faithful to what I consider the primary emphasis of God as reaching the unreached ethnic groups in our world. What can we do to be more faithful to that primary call from God? Another thing to do is not only to to be mobilizing people, but here's another one for you welcoming the foreigners who are already in our own land, who are receiving educations here and are going to return somewhere else. You know Mary Beth Goodrich? You know the Friendship Program? It's a good program, right? Some of you have been involved on and off through the years, right? You know it's gotten harder and harder to get Friendship Partners in recent years? Right, Mary Beth? And yet more and more of those students are here, right? You think Mary Beth's ardor has calmed? No. (laughs) Have we poured water on her sometimes as a congregation? Yeah. And what about the work being done by Dan and John and the organization they support in ministries around the world and some of those same kind of places? They are fired up and ready to go. But what can we do to be a more welcoming people? Okay, now i got this. I have only one hard question today. The question I'm going to ask you about how much money you're planning to give is not hard. Money's easy for y'all. You're the wealthiest people in the world so I don't worry about that. Here's what I worry about. Now, some of you are going to rebel at this next question. And I want you to know that God told me to ask you this question. Seriously. Now, many of you in your homes, have a bedroom that is rarely, if ever, used in that house you inhabit. Sally, is your hand raised back there? My eyes don't work as good. I've got on my normal glasses. and is, You know, that's not many of you, and some of you are just not telling the truth. I'm going to try it again. I'm going to ask you the question again. How many of you have a bedroom in your home that's not being regularly used? Raise your hand. Are you telling me the rest of you have somebody sleeping every night in your bedrooms? That's what you're saying to God today? Anybody else want to raise their hand? This is your chance. Otherwise, it's between you and God, right? Not between you and me. Just saying, how many of you could house not a foreign exchange student in high school, but an adult who's here can make their own choices, who's given every penny they and their family can raise to get an American education, but who is open and willing to move in with somebody else who would make his rent much cheaper? And they would also have the chance to live before him, a witness of a life that is Christian. Perhaps a dozen people a year going back to those countries in the Far East who had lived for two years or three with an American family and went back to their home can reach more people in the first year they're back than we can reach in 10 years of hard labor in cross-cultural evangelism. So now, here's the other question for you. I'm not talking about children you have to watch after. I'm talking about adults. And many of you are willing to open that bedroom you're not using to somebody else. And many of you are willing to share your faith just by the way you bless your food, by the way you go to worship, and by answering the questions they ask 12 months after they moved into your house. The first 12 months, it'll be all about culture, maybe many of you are willing to use what God has given you that you're quite frankly not using in order to reach these unreached peoples around the world. It's the easiest low-hanging fruit in foreign missions that's available to the church. There are some hundreds of thousands of foreign students in our country and many of them are in Dallas, Texas. Many of them are at the UT Dallas institution. Many of them One by one are coming to Christ already from a couple of families that are willing to have them in their homes. What if 20 of us or 30 of us were willing to have them in our home? Now, some of you are wondering, he's not really talking to us, right, dear? Yes, I am. I am talking to you. I just wonder if you're listening. I wonder if if God's mission is that important to us. I'm asking myself the same questions. Don't, don't feel like you're the only one in being, hearing this message today. How many of you are willing to make changes, minor changes in your lifestyle just to give a room to someone else who might be that John Wesley of some nation in the world who's not heard the gospel? I have a tendency to want to just stop here and sit down. Not dismiss, just sit down until you start walking forward and saying, I'm one of them. Now, on top of all that, there's the idea of being a sending congregation, which you already get. You're already doing that in Chiv and Imra. And I don't want us to lose the focus in Cambodia. That's why I think a local mission that meets the needs of of these unreached people groups in our counties might be right where we are now. Something we can do here as we step up, even increase, so that Pastor Chiv becomes Bishop Chiv or Pope Chiv (laughs) (laughs) via satellite from TV in Carrollton, Texas to 40 churches in Cambodia, which might actually have a chance to reach most of the whole unreached people groups in that nation Think about that. Concentrated effort with a focus can sometimes accomplish what many shots never can. Don't get nervous, Chiv. We won't leave you alone in this process. How many of you are willing to come to a class and learn what it looks like to actually host a student from another country in your, in your home? We've had a German student. We've had a Korean student in our home as high school students, and it changed the dynamics in our family. They became our family. It, was, it killed us when our German girl left after one year. But those were still youth. Those were still teenagers. It would be at a different level to bring an adult into your home that you could relate to, listen to, and understand their culture from the Christian perspective and be able, when they were ready, to share it with them. We need classics telling us how to do that. And we're going to have them. Help us how to reach the lost in our reach contest context will be a direct result of learning how to reach people in a different culture. Because a, a person as an individual sometimes is a mini culture in themselves of why they are not responding to the gospel. I'm convinced after being at the prison... If there was somebody to hold the hand of prisoners when they get released, a large number of them could change their lives. But when they get out, they have so alienated most of their family members and worn them out through the years with bad choices that many people, most people are afraid to lift them a helping hand. But when you see them weep and pour out their hearts of how hopeless they feel, What would it look like for a church to be so concerned with people in that context that we can learn how to do in a healthy way what would be good for them when they come out? What can we do to help that contrary neighbor we've been witnessing to for 40 long years? And they just won't come out. Maybe nothing, but maybe moving on. Using those energies elsewhere might make a larger difference for the kingdom. I only have one thing left to say, and I need to say it quickly. I told you I didn't need to spend much time on it. We're fixed to fill out our faith promise cards. You know, last year the budget fell some $35,000, some of which was probably for good reasons because we had a lot of things going on in the congregation that I think people responded to. The result of that was that our faith promise giving was down. Another reason it's down is because sometimes people just aren't giving enough because they're not motivated enough because they don't care enough about reaching the unreached peoples of the world. I gave a gift every year, but it wasn't nearly as large a gift as it should be. So I'm telling my wife not to bring a card down unless God's spoken to her directly because God's already spoken to me about what we're going to do, and it's not what we did last year. You have your card, and we're going to stand up and sing in a few moments. I want to ask you just a couple simple questions about your card. Are you thinking about unreached peoples and what you can do to help them? And secondly, does your gift represent a sacrifice? Does it represent a sacrifice above what you're already giving to the church? Or is it just something like my gift has been, something I could do that was not terribly sacrificial? 3.6 billion people Their souls depends upon our faithfulness. I hope you'll respond. I believe you will. And the way you respond is fill out your card, place it in a basket at any of the three aisles on the chancel rail or here in the center, and we'll see that it gets to the people around the world who need it most. Won't we, Lindy? Yes, we will.